Respectful obeisances to my spiritual master, Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, to all the previous Acharyas, and to all the Vaishnavas and Vaishnavis assembled here today. Vanchakalpaturusha, Kripasinave Vichakatitana Pavanibyo, Vaishnavibyo Namunaha. And I very specifically, especially, offer my obeisances to His Grace Kaushtuba Prabhu, who has um, let me sit next to him on the stage. He's doing so much to uh, give his heart to so many people on a daily basis. And today's an opportunity just to have a conversation about the ways that we can come closer to Krishna. And we'll just have a, a discussion that we'll start by hearing from Kushtuba Prabhu about anything that's on your mind, that's okay. I thought maybe I'd just start by thanking all the, the devotees that are here that uh, have done so much to make this whole weekend happen. Especially I wanted to, is Jai Shri here? She's not here? Oh, maybe we'll wait till she comes Stop back. Stop making it happen. Okay, yeah, that's exactly what it is. But uh, it's been a wonderful chance to, to meet old friends and to make new friends. And it's really, um, I suppose, you know, I was, I was going to follow your lead, but you're getting me started, so I... I uh, you're already going. We're already going. So, so um, I was thinking, you know, right where we are in Wisdom and Sages, it may be even tomorrow's show, we come to a very special place in Bhagavatam which is um, after chapters and chapters building up it, there have been many chapters that have they're, they're chapters that are full of incredible content themselves but at the same time they're all there to kind of frame a very important conversation and that's a conversation between Devahuti and Kapiladev and now we finally got to that conversation we've just started it and um, but now these amazing super important verses come out and uh, Kapiladev reveals to Devahuti that um, Bhakti is special because it's the, the generally we think in terms of when we think of yoga um, we think that it involves renunciation and, and um, leaving everything and in one sense even everyone behind and, uh, but he tells her something different. He says that actually this, he glorifies the path of Bhakti Yoga. And then he says, on this path, one's attachments, usually we're always talking about detachment, but one's attachments actually counter, one's spiritual attachments, or really what he says is one's attachments to the sadhus, um, that they counteract one's material attachments. And then he quotes this uh, very famous verse, uh, which is slipping my mind right now. Tatikshava Karunaka, thank you. Tatikshava Karunaka, Surida Sarvadehinam, Ajatrasatra Sauchabhyam, Sadhava Sadhubhushana. These are the 
the Sadhu Bhushana. Bhushana means the, um, you could say the ornaments, or the, the jewels, like the decorations, the, the beautiful ornaments of the Sadhu. Um, they're not, these aren't um, like physical jewels, but these are the most beautiful ornaments, the, the ornaments that Krishna appreciates the most. It's the ornaments of one's character. And it begins with tolerance, Titikshara Karunaka, and then Surita Sarvadehinam. And when we become uh, a little bit wiser, it means we can be a little bit more tolerant. Things that would upset us um, in the past don't upset us so much because we're viewing them from a different perspective. We, these things that used to seem to be to us to be so important, now we recognize they're not so important, actually. Life goes on, and, and there was really no point in getting so caught up so upset and so you become tolerant and when you become tolerant when you're not so caught up in everything being just right for you and you can let go then you can naturally be more merciful to others you can think of others more uh, and help others so karunika you, know, you become compassionate and when you're thinking in that way then every single person you know sorry you can become a true friend and not just a true friend to a very narrow group of people, but you can become a true friend to all people, all living entities. So this is where he starts. That he says, if you can become attached to sadhus, then all of your you know, Devahuti was expressing some fear, you know, that I might pass away still with my attachments and my material fears. And he was saying, this is improper. When you become attached to the sadhus, it remedies all that. Right? And 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 and. Uh, and, you know, we all need to have that strategy in life. How will I become one of these sadhus? You know, this is, this is the way that I, this is my own personal strategy. I'm way behind, I'm way behind schedule. But by the time I die, I would like to be something more like one of these sadhus. Right, that where the little things don't bother me. Where my mind becomes so, um, so disconcerned with everything being the way that I think it should be so that I have all my comforts or all my respect or whatever it may be that, that my ego is calling for. That I've let go of that. And because, because I've let go of that, there's, there's a, a sense of peace. And that peace allows me to be kind to others. And because I'm being kind to others, I'm not getting a lot of tension in my life. And, and from that state, whatever's coming my way, I hope to be able to perceive it or understand it um, in the most beneficial way. Now that I'm detached, I can make sense out of everything, understand how Krishna's hand is working in it, understand how I can grow through this. And so that by the time I'm an old man, if I make it there, <laughs> I can sit and chant um, my japa with a mind that's able to become fully deeply absorbed in that name. And so, uh, you know, I think we all have to figure out how we're going to do that. You know, and for me, it's, you know, I, I, I've seen that uh, this advice that um, Kapila Dave has given to David Hoti is, uh, is probably my only hope, is to hang very tight to sadhus like Vaisheshik Prabhu and, and others. And, uh, and if my heart can become attached to these great souls, then naturally we begin to uh, let go of the other attachments. Do you want me to say something? Please. Yeah. No, no, I just want you to talk. <laughs> Thank you, Gosh Prabhu, for starting off on a very rich 
what, what part of Bhagavatam is enriched, every verse, every word. But it's a very um, popular section, it's so practical teachings. And just when you said that, I thought it would be a good idea to talk about, uh, continue the definition of a sadhu. It's three words, sadhu, sadhana, and sadhya. So sadhya means a goal. And um, Vrinda, um, Radhika, everyone <laughs> calling you everything. Radhika yesterday was talking about how start with the goal in mind. You normally start with a goal in mind and then you decide what process you're going to take up to pursue the path. And so the sadhya is the goal. And knowing what the goal is is always important in any endeavor. Otherwise, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. And then there's a practical way of adjusting one's life, lifestyle, one's sentiments, and the sea. Conceptions? And conceptions. In order to... I just made that up. I hope it it's pretty good. makes sense. Isn't it? Yeah. Very good. <laughs> And that's called sadhana. In other words, uh, adjusting one's life around the principle that I'm going for a goal in my life. So one of the verses that comes to mind, since you brought up this section, that's very practical, that in which uh, Kapila Dev describes the way in which one makes advancement most readily, which includes association of devotees, and how does one associate with sadhus, those who are fully engaged towards the goal. And don't mind, but I'll quote some Sanskrit. It's satam pasangam mamavirya sambhido vavanti hritkarna rasayana kata tajjoshanat ashwa pavargavartmani shradharatir bhaktir anukramishvati So this very concise verse talks about the way that sadhus associate with one another. And in this verse, satam means sadhus, or those whose hearts are sincerely dedicated towards the goal. And means that they come together and the vibration that comes from their gathering, just like this one, everywhere you go on the property, well, there are sadhus here, there's a vibration. You can hear it from the hills, the kirtan, and when you come into this tent, we're talking about Krishna and the means to come to Krishna. And by that vibration, by staying in the vibration and hearing uh, from the hearts, the, the voices that are emanating the powerful intentions of those sadhus, then one has a transformation. So I have a saying that I picked up from a godbrother a long time ago that essentializes this concept, which is keep the transcendental vibration going. Whatever part of, uh, of the world I'm in, whatever uh, part of the day in my life, make an arrangement. Think ahead of time, how will I be able to stay in the transcendental vibration? And if I can do that, according to Kapila Dev, then he says, touch Joshadat Ashu Apavargavartmani, that very quickly the heart will transform. And it takes us on a different trajectory altogether. Right now, I'm in a world that's fraught with various anomalies like birth, death, old age, and disease, represented by the syllables pa, 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 ma. 
which means that you have to work very hard to maintain your apartment in San Francisco. And then, unless you have rent control, then you can't leave. And then you got pa. That's a pa pa means you've got to work so hard that foam comes from your mouth. And then ba means that eventually whatever we acquire in the world will slip through our fingers. And pa means we'll be fearful while we're doing it. And ma means death. It's the ultimate um, <coughs> perspective changer when death comes. So he says that when you follow this path, then you change that path to apavarga. It means now you're going in a different direction. You're going to the spiritual world. And finally, he says, it'll happen in noticeable stages. Shraddha, shraddha is the first. Shrad is, is an active verb. It means where you place something. Shrad means the heart. And da is an active verb, where you place something. So shraddha, which often is translated as faith, means where you're putting your heart. What are you putting your heart into? Could you identify that right now? What are you most putting your heart into? So as we advance in spiritual life, we most put our heart into hearing and chanting the transcendental vibration about Krishna. And then from Shraddha, Rati comes, and this actual affection for Krishna, it's a, a strong taste. I don't want to be without it, ever. I don't get distracted. And then Bhakti means we develop pure love or prema for Krishna. <laughs> I'm wondering if we should, do you think we should open it up for yeah, other yeah, thoughts? Yeah, I think so. Does it, I thought we'd also just kind of open it up for like a wider discussion if someone maybe has a question or would like to share some thoughts on what we've been discussing or what we've been discussing all weekend. Anyone like to share something? Prabhu? I have a question. Uh, and it's, it's, we it's, have it's, a mic? There's, 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 there's um, So my question is, is that, so here we have this beautiful festival. And we're great big variety of people. Some people are here for the first time uh, experiencing Krishna consciousness. So for someone who's new, who is ne hasn't taken initiate, initiation from the Guru, um, and they want to, they, they got introduced to the chanting of Hare Krishna, they like it, they like Prashadam, they like, what's their next step? Like what, what, should they, what should they do to stay, keep the vibration going? Yes. So, for instance, here, many some people have come here, they're very new to the practice of bhakti, but they're excited about it, they're yeah. feeling something from it, uh, they're enjoying the association of the Vaishnavas, they're enjoying the chanting, they're enjoying the prasadam. And so what is the next step for them? Oh, hey. When she's free, I suppose it could come in so many ways, but uh, one thing... You know, I, I'll, I'll, share, I'll, share, I'll share something. Um, even just a few minutes ago, someone asked me, like, how did Wisdom of the Sages get started, this podcast that I do with my friend Robin? And actually, the place where I have to start is actually I have to thank Vaisheshwakaru. Because it was really, he, he, he did something for me. He's done it for so many people. Was um, he encouraged me to read Bhagavatam every day. And that's something that I think... Uh, I was neglecting in my life. I had them set there, but it was mostly I was reading like as reference, you know, more than like as a sadhana. And so um, 
he had that uh, app that you had where you can tell you, you know. Still there. Still there. Be <laughs> <laughs> page, page by page. And so it's a fascinating idea that you could just like go. <laughs> it was one of those nice apps that click when you, when you spin the thing. And, uh, and so you could check, oh, if I read 40 verses a day from Bhagavatam, I could read the entire thing in a year. Right? 41 pages. 41 pages. But I think it was 40 verses is a year. And I think we were, my wife and I were reading 80 verses a day. I'm not sure if I got that right. But it was something like that. And we were just enjoying it, actually, you know. It was just, we would sit down and it was, it was kind of, uh, it was relaxing. But it was, uh, it was not only um, enriching that time that we said it. I think it took us about 40 minutes or so. But it was actually enriching all the rest of the time in the day, too. And so I got in the habit of that. Uh, I was doing it for um, a couple months or so, and uh, and wherever I was going, I was <laughs> I felt like your representative. I was like, he was saying, "So, Kasuba, what's up? You know, what are you doing?" I'm actually reading Bhagavatam every day, and it's like really great. You know, you could do it too. You know, and other people started doing it too. Yeah. So uh, so so then Raghunath said, "I have a few students um, that just want to study with me daily." I'm the, I want to do something at 5 a.m. Uh, on Zoom, like every day, for them. What do you think I ought to do? I said, oh, I want you to do Bhagavatam every day. So he thought about it, and he said, okay, I'll, I'll do Bhagavatam. And he started doing with just maybe like eight people or something like that. They would wake up, or they would all be up at 8 a.m., or I'm sorry, 5 a.m. to just be part of that conversation. But it's just all Bhagavatam, that's all it was. And um, it just kept growing a little bit. It was he started to show that live on um, on Facebook, on Facebook Live. So then other people started to join it, and then it was twenty people, and then it was thirty people, and then he invited me on as occasional guest, and it can, continued to grow. So he started in March, and it was gradually growing and growing. And in the summer, I was a guest a couple of times. I think by September of 2019, I just started coming on. We, every, we felt the the uh, yeah momentum the, yeah like the, the the combination was working and uh, the, the, yeah the chemistry was connected and so uh, we just started doing it every day and it was fun but you know then it began to sink in how good this is for our spiritual life and how good this is for everyone else that was participating and it just kept growing until there was about 80 or 85 people every morning tuning in at 5 a.m without any advertising, putting it up on Facebook Live in a, the least professional way possible. Roganoff was always like knocking over the, the phone and you know, it, it, was, um, it was kind of a mess. But, um, and so then we said, okay, on the first of the year, January 1st, 2020, we'll launch it as a, um, as a, a regular podcast branded and put it out there. But that, what, what we realized is that I've, I've taught Bhakti in different contexts, at different times at the Bhakti Center where I participated in New York, you know, I would line up different weekly things and so on. But actually it was daily. We realized that it's actually when you do something every day that it starts to become firmly rooted. You know, so in answer to your question, I think, first of all, as, I was, as my wife and I were reading Bhagavatam, realizing the Bhagavatam itself is telling us again and again and again and again and again. That if you just do this, if you just hear this Bhagavatam, amazing things will start to happen in your life, you know. Krishna will enter into the holes of your ears, and he'll sit down on the lotus of your heart, 
and then he'll remove all your lust and, and anxiety, like like um like when water when the autumn waters fall uh, onto a pond and like all the murkiness just like settles down to the bottom, and then you have nice. This will happen if you just take it seriously and do it every day. But I wasn't doing it every day. Why not? You know, why in the world? What I was doing so many other things. We all have busy lives for sure. Um, but we all waste time, mostly to, most of us waste time too. So we, we have to find some daily sadhana, and particularly hearing, you know, and particularly hearing Bhagavatam. So that's one answer. I mean, there, there are other ways someone could answer your question, but I think that's one way to go. And, and it means you have to have, it goes right back to what Prabhu was saying, you have to have the right Sangha, wherein everybody has a similar faith in that Bhagavatam, and everyone has a, a similar... Um, eagerness to to uh, keep it keep it sacred keep this time sacred keep this process sacred and if and when the the Vaishnavas get together in that way then wonderful things man can you ask me a question <laughs> oh okay well I thought maybe you could maybe add something to that but as, otherwise we can open it up yeah. we'll restate the question if you well that if someone is new to this and they're catching on to it and they're excited about it what's a good next step for them what he said. <laughs> Krishna, is, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, Tesham Satata Yuktanam Bhachatam Priti Purvakam Dadami Buddhi Yogam Tam Vienamam Vyantite. At least he assures us in various ways in the Gita and elsewhere that he's there to guide us within the heart. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who's Krishna appearing as a devotee 500 years ago mentioned that Brahmanda Brahmate Kon Bhagavanji, etc. That when one becomes serious about spiritual life, there's a way in which Krishna makes an arrangement to meet devotees who are teaching in a way that resonates. And I find that the process of spiritual life and finding one's community and guru happens quite uh, naturally by the divine order, by Krishna's arrangement. And there's a sense that uh, those who are starting spiritual life often have that they realize one day that such and such is helping me. I'm listening and it's actually lifting me up. I'm, I'm able to do things like give up bad habits that I wasn't able to do before. I'm, I'm actually getting attracted to the process. And then um, that's a that's a good sign that you're in association that's helping you and then there are, are ways in which uh, one can become more connected to uh, gurus uh, to help one to in, in instruction and then one can also take a step called bhajana kriya where one approaches guru to, to dedicate oneself to the process and receive the divine mantra and mantras the divine name and mantras so that one can make progress in spiritual life but it goes back to the basic uh, principle that you're bringing out which is uh, keep the transcendental vibration going in fact one of the essential verses that's uh, given by Rupa Goswami in his book called The Nectar of Instruction it's nice to get some advice from those who are uh, coming to us from the spiritual world who are on the highest level and he says 
organize your life around this principle that you are able to continuously hear, chant, and remember Krishna. And from that, everything else will take place. He's, uh, and I just wanted to mention about this principle that's uh, given in various places in the in all these teachings, and that is nityam bhagavata sevaya, which means you should do this continually. So, the great teachers of bhakti have anticipated that that might be intimidating for some people. We're working, perhaps, and having to maintain families. What to speak? Just maintaining the body takes uh, effort and time, and therefore it's a nityam bhagavata sevaya. And one of my favorite devotees, actually, as a kid, he's grown grown up now and initiated, but I remember him walking right through the class. <laughs> he, he's, our, our, the great teachers comment that this Nityam Bhagavata Seva means exactly what Gaushtuva Prabhupada just said, is at least once a day. I find that a day is a compartmentalized unit and I'm not the same person in the morning when I wake up that I was the night before. Everything gets rearranged. I have to start over. And I can't skip a day. So those who are serious about spiritual life can find a, uh, a teacher or teachers or community that inspires them to stay on track, uh, at least hearing something and doing a practice once a day. And everything will grow from that process of hearing and chanting. Hi, See, I said Thank what you. he said. <laughs> That's only because I was following what you <laughs> exemplified so well. Uh, would anyone else like to share a thought or a question? Just, if you could, uh, we'll just stimulate the conversation by give a reflection. Questions are very difficult, actually. Uh, but if you... Reflect back any one thing that you heard, a concept, a phrase, a, uh, that you might take away from here, that you might use later. And if somebody asks you, what were these people talking about in here, what's the one thing that you would say? So just reflect that back, and it'll start a cascade of thoughts and questions. Any reflections? Radhika. Bhagavatam, 
how he would decorate the slokas with chandan and tulsi and flowers, almost like the Bhagavatam is a deity with so much love. And I just feel, I don't know, like for me, I, I'm, I'm really t exhausted of, of being so unsteady, like of being inspired and then not being inspired and just being constantly unsteady in the bhakti. So I'm going to repeat the question. I'm going to give the microphone to you because it's... So, that, so it was. It wasn't so much a question, but a, she was sharing her heart that um, she sees Shil Prabhupada's disciples, and they have great nishta, great steadiness. They're very fixed in their in their practices and their service. And you too, Prabhu. Also, and um, and at the same time, she feels I don't have that myself. I feel so unsteady. Uh, she's and she gave examples of beautiful types. You know the beautiful types of service that people do completely fixed in her guru Maharaj and, and so on. Um, and she's feeling exhausted uh, with the fact that I'm trying, I'm trying, but I haven't developed that steadiness yet. That was, I hope I captured at least a good part of what you're saying. I just bring it back to the, the section of the Bhagavatam that you mentioned. This is something that, in the context of what Kaushtuba Prabhu brought up earlier, from a section of the Bhagavatam that he's reading now, uh, there's a conversation going on between Devahuti, who's a mother of Kapiladev, uh, Krishna, who's incarnated as her son. And there's, uh, she feels a need to ask him questions and to, get in, to be, receive instructions from him, so he agrees and instructs her. So one of the, the first thing that she says, as you well know, is that I'm sick and tired of being unsteady. I'm sick and tired of the disturbances of my senses. And how do I get over this? And a little bit further along, she says, it seems impossible. It seems like I am my body. The mind is so invested in the external sense objects, and this is confirmed later in the Bhagavatam, the 11th canto, there's a way in which even as this body manifests out of the womb, the senses have their counterparts in this world. Uh, the, the sense objects are actually there embedded within the mind. And th therefore it seems quite natural. I'm part of this world. I should pursue happiness in the world. So Devahuti is saying, how do I overcome this? It seems ins insurmountable, the mind. Doesn't it? Anyone? Makes me feel better. So, so then he answers. I'm going to say the answer, and then I'll have Kashtuba Prabhu embellish it because that's what he does, um, or elaborate. Like, uh, and that he says that stay on the path and here for a long time. So if ever I feel depleted or unsteady. There's one answer, and it was given to me once by my mother. My mother at the time was not a devotee. She wasn't pleased that I be... Well, she wasn't totally against it. She let me become a devotee uh, when I was youngish. And, uh, and one day, I happened to be at the Los Angeles airport, and I was having a, a bad day, maybe a bad week even, and I felt a little down. So I called her from the payphone. That's how long ago it was. And I started complaining, as only a son can do 
for one's, to one's mother. And here's what she told me. She said, you listen to me. You get that bag with those beads inside. You put your hand in and you start chanting. And before she left this world, actually, she became a devotee. And I, I had five days with her before she left. And I asked her, hey, mom, what was that about? How come you told me that? She said, I saw you cross over and leave the material world. I didn't want you coming back again. And so the answer is Prabhupada said once to Jayananda Prabhu, I don't know what Jayananda Prabhu wrote to Prabhupada, but Prabhupada wrote back, it's the same old answer. He said, chant Hare Krishna. So if you increase the transcendental vibration it, it, to, to whatever degree, even if it's a hundredth of a degree, you'll notice that your life improves by a hundredth of a degree or more. Actually, it's exponential. You give a little bit more to the hearing process and the practice, and it'll increase from there. And let's find out more from country. Thank you. Thank you. in my life is I've been able to be close to some Vaishnavas that I have great respect for, feel that they have very deep wisdom. And it's occurred to me that part of what wisdom means is it means recognizing how things grow, how things change and how things grow. And I think that a lot, so a lot of times wise people, they like to spend time in nature and they like, you know, anybody that has a garden, I've never been a gardener, but I know when people talk about the garden, you know, there's something too to planting the seed and watering the seed and waiting and then doing all the little things that need to be done if it's weeding or, or, or protecting it in different ways. And then we see that things grow and they grow in a variety of different ways. Some things grow straight up and they grow fast and some things spread out and some things they take a very long time underground. Um, and if you're looking at that seed, you're just waiting for the day and patiently waiting. When is it going to change? When is something going to finally show? It's like there's nothing happening here. Even though I put the effort in, there's nothing growing. But if you were able to see under the ground, there's a lot happening down there. And, you know, roots or things are, are, are uh, you know, the, the little... I, I'm not good with all the um, botany and the, 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 the terms, you know, but there's a, the, the, the shell of that seed is cracked open. And, and roots are going down and everything that'll be needed for that plant to fully blossom in a beautiful way is like it's happening down there but nobody sees it and I think that uh, our bhakti practice can be a lot like that too that you know I had this experience once I personally I've been chanting japa for over three decades and I feel like sometimes I feel like I haven't progressed at all when my mind is distracted, it's certainly not like what I would hope. You know. uh, 
And then one time I had this, um, I was kind of, um, I, I was at a, a weekend thing, something like this. And part, one thing that they did was they did this breathwork thing. And they were, people were encouraging me to do it, and I was kind of, that's really not my thing, you know. And, but they were close friends of mine, and they were, so I said, okay, I'll do it. And it meant like lying down, and they were doing all these different kind of fast breathing, and, this, and they were also making you do things like you lie down, then you start to yell and scream and do all these different things. So it wasn't my thing, but I was going along with it and doing the best I could. And then, but what it did do was it, it put you in a bit, a bit of a different mental state. And then, you, and then you were meant to lie down, and they were telling you like what to think about and so on. But when I was lying there, I was in a different mental state than I'm normally in. I was, I was somewhere else. And then I was there for a long time. I don't know how long it was. Maybe it was 20 minutes or something like that. And then it occurred to me that without my thinking about or trying, the entire time I had been chanting Mahamantra in my mind. And I thought, well, this is very interesting, you know, that even though while I'm chanting, I may be inattentive. And um, even though I have no taste, for that holy name. But somehow, in just by chanting 16 rounds a day for so many years, this, this mantra has penetrated into my body and into my mind, into the vibration of my, you know, of my, this whole setup here. And um, it, it felt like that those are like roots, you know, going in to the ground. It's some, something's there. I'm not, I'm not that, I'm not that person with that pure mind right now. I'm not that person with that deep, deep spiritual attachment right now. I don't have that attachment for the Holy Name right now. But, but just by following the instructions of the Great Souls, chant these rounds. You know, even if I'm inattentive, I'm trying to follow. And and, and even though my mind, I, you know, I'm not, you know, I, I'm no example of someone that was born into a pure family and given these kind of practices at a young age. I was exact opposite. But somehow, by the mercy of Srila Prabhupada's instructions and the mercy of the entire Guru Prampara, I'm, I'm, I'm following as, as best I can, or at least I, I'm, I'm, I'm giving it my heart on some level. And, um, and I have faith. You know, I have faith that it's not fruitless. It's, it's, it, it will, the day will come, and that day will come on Krishna's schedule. You know, when, 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 when the Vaishnava or, or, or Krishna Give that blessing. Uh, soften the heart. And the sprout really begins to manifest. And th that's on their schedule. And, and, and as far as I'm concerned, I don't know how many lifetimes I've built up all this conditioning. So this one little lifetime is really, as you get a little older, I'm, I'm, I'm probably much older than you now. As you get older, the life begins to look much shorter. And you begin to feel this sense of gratitude that uh, hardly I'm giving anything. You know, to give this one life is a very small thing. Uh, and, 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 you know, um, even if I have to, even if this takes several lifetimes, that's okay too. You know? <laughs> as, long as, as long as I have that blessing that I can continue on the path, then, then that's fine too. And so maybe as you get a little older too, you'll begin to feel like, oh, this isn't, you know, it, it, you're, you're, um, it, it, the, the very sincere, and that's important. It's, it's also good to feel like you're feeling too, like, I want it. It hasn't come yet. I want it. That's important too, that, that eagerness. But also, there may be a, a sense of feeling like just of gratitude that'll grow in your heart that I've been given so much and, 
And even if I have to live many lifetimes, as long as I'm in association with devotees, everything's perfect. I and mean, I'm in Krishna's hands and everything's fine. And when Krishna gives that blessing, I'll get that blessing. And I'll just be very grateful. So there's, I, I think your sentiments and, and your eagerness is, is wonderful. And I think Krishna will also bless you with different ways of feeling about how you're feeling. It'll feel both something bittersweet, that, that feeling. I want to say one thing. Yes, please. Uh, thank you for bringing the question. I heard your seminar yesterday. And I don't know how many other devotees I speak for, but I'm very proud of you to have grown up from, as a ch in childhood, Krishna consciousness, and to have listened so attentively that the Guru Parampara just comes flowing out of you so naturally. And the songs that you sing with such devotion from your heart was definitely uh, it was just not just no, 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 no. It's not just impressive. But it was it was really a revelation. And I, I would say life changing. So thank you very much, Hare Krishna. Uh, way in the back, Mataji. That's a takeaway right there. When you're around strong devotees, the mind backs down. <laughs> the fully backs down. And um, I also couldn't help but think that it's, it's always been in the back of my mind that, wow, there's this strong sangha of devotees in the Silicon Valley. But I think it's really powerful what Lurnityananda made the Namahata. You know, for devotees to travel, because when devotees are in a spot, they're going to be dropping a lot of seeds. And the seeds are going to grow right there. And there's going to be a lot of seeds of growing trees right there. And that's going to be wonderful.
Thank you so much. Yeah, can, can you? I, I never got your name. I've been so impressed just seeing your devotion. But my name is Madhavi Thank you. That, that was. I'm not going to be able to recap all that, but I think there are a few things that we have to grab onto. One was, you mentioned your Guru Maharaj, Bhagwan Sri Maharaj, mentioned about movement. Could you repeat that? Everything spreads. Everything spreads. Everything has some tendency of spreading. Everything has a tendency of spreading itself. And so therefore... Always, um, always, we always have a choice between something towards surrender or something towards listening to our mind. Okay. Every time we make the choice to listen to our mind, we're going to have more of a tendency to do that more. Right. And whenever we have, make the choice to surrender or do some seva, we're going to end up doing that more. And and then it's and in the association of the strong devotees. Then we're gonna go in that direction because we're gonna look at them yeah. and they're gonna uh, assert that you'll get this result. Right. I see this effulgence coming off of you. I'm gonna wanna do what you're doing. Beautiful. And so the tendency for the mind to spread in the wrong direction gets back down from from that. It it, it reminded me of one thought I've had. There's, um, in the Yoga Sutras, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, very interesting book. Not exactly our Vaishnava Shastra, but, but so much of it runs very parallel with it. And um, he mentions there that um, how the fluctuations of the mind can be countered. And he says it can be done by the exact same thing Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita. What is it? Abhyasa? And vairagya, right? By, by practice and detachment. And then he begins, and this is the way Patanjali and so many of uh, these commentators have, uh, the, the format that they use is then he goes to define both terms. What is practice? And so when he describes practice, he says something interesting. He says that when something is done with the right um, dedication or devotion, that's the first thing, when it's done um, over the course of a long time and when it's done without interruption, which fits right into what we're saying about like Nityam Bhagavata say when something's done regularly, steadily, daily, he says then that, that practice becomes firmly rooted. And I thought about that and I thought, yeah, that, that's how we practice bhakti, right? We wanna, we wanna do it steadily. And, and even like, for instance, we have a lot of um, asana practitioners here and people that practice asana they know if i practice asana like i can practice it intensely for one week but then i then i don't pick it up for two weeks and then i do it for three days in a row like five hours a day but then the n next week i do it like a half an hour a day and then it's it's better if they just did a little bit every single day and stayed steady and then and then that practice becomes stronger or deeper or more firmly rooted that's how things grow. Like we're talking about how things grow. Things need that kind of steady attention. And just as positive things grow like that, like a positive spiritual practice, negative things also grow like that. You know, that, that, that we have negative messages that repeat in our mind. Um, even like, even just cultural things, like the way that we live now, uh, our lifestyles now, they become more and more unnatural where it's like, I remember I was growing up, most of the families were like one income families. 
you know. And, and so you would come home and you'd have a, you know, the family would eat together, you know, and, and there'd be a, a meal that was cooked, you know, with love and put on the table and everyone would share it together. And so if, like, say you're, say you're a kid and it's, you're at school and school is hard, it's rough, you're not getting along with other kids, you're fighting, you're, you're having a hard time concentrating. If that doesn't get broken, it's going to become deeper and deeper and deeper. It's going to create very negative impressions in the mind that will be hard to overcome. But if every day you sit down at the dinner table and you have a very positive, nourishing, not just physically nourishing, but like mentally or spiritually nourishing experience, and you feel loved and, you, and you, you, your mind settles, then you're breaking that. You're, you're, you're breaking the pattern. You know, so I, I think this is, we can understand our sadhana like this too, that even though we have to go into difficult situations and we live in unnatural lifestyles and so on, but we can break the negative patterns by practice, by, by every day bringing our sadhana to, to, the, um, you know, to, to the forefront of our mind. And so not only is it, is it reinforcing the positive things, but it's also cutting off the negative things. Those, as you say, like the, the mind is going to back down, right? Particularly, again, if we do it in, in the association of Vaishnavas that inspire us. And, and I believe the, the last point you made was uh, the encouragement that we get together like this more often. So thank you very much for that. Yes, Prabhu. Yeah, uh, so no I feel right. that some people, you know, enter, like, you know, do the sadhana for 10 years. Some people might have done for 15 years. You know, when the end of life is, uh, some, somebody might have done for one year maybe. Yeah. Uh, in Ramayana, we, we hear about Shabari, you know, who for years and years, was waiting for Rama and she was doing the sadhana. Yeah. And we also in Bhagavadam we have the story of Ajamil, who for a second, maybe nanosecond, he just took the name of Narayana. Uh, is it I just want your perspective on is it the power of association with that name? Just the name alone for a nanosecond. Okay. Which took him to God. Okay, so some people are doing sadhana for years and years and years and years. Some people we see they just chanted the name once. Wow. So is this fair, <laughs> or how does it work? <laughs> and for that, we'll turn to my shishu. <laughs> well, there's, there are different perspectives. One, Bhaktivinoda Thakur speaks about the ways in which we accumulate Bhakti Unmukhi Sukriti, which means spiritually based highest credits. We sometimes think of Punya as good karma. But there's another kind of credit that we get when we associate with devotees, or when we do some devotional act. And there's a concept given in the Bhagavatam uh, called Agyata Sukriti. Unknowingly, uh, we may not have com complete knowledge of how it's happening, but when we have association with devotees and we appreciate them, we do some service, we get a kind of a spiritual deposit. Prabhupada once said that the heart is like a bank and you can make deposits in it or withdrawals, obviously. The best kind of deposit is uh, a spiritual deposit. And uh, Briyat Narayana Purana, uh, quoted in the Jayavadharma, points out that uh, when you get an accumulation enough, then Shraddha is born. It wakes up in your heart, which means you start to have an appreciation of bhakti. There's a story of Lal Babu. Jiva Goswami gives 
where he's walking and he hears mother calling out to daughter and saying, now's the time. She was just calling her home. She should come in now. He'd come home. And he heard that. He was a rich a businessman, very much absorbed in his enterprise. And when he heard it, the bhakti credits he already had in his heart fructified. And he thought, oh, that was for me. I should become dedicated to Lord Krishna. And he gave up his business occupation. He started going door to door as a beggar. And he collected, now there's a temple in Vrindavan called the Lal Babu Temple. Beautiful deities there. So people accumulate uh, this spiritually based, these credits, and then at a particular time, they awaken as a shraddha or faith in the process. In the case of Ajamil, he was uh, chanting the name of Krishna without any expectation. He was simply helpless. Ajamil was a dutiful young Brahmin, but he became um, derailed from his dharmic life uh, at a particular uh, young, at, at a young age. Uh, he was a youth and he became deviated and then he spent the rest of his life in licentiousness. But then he named his son Narayan and he was calling his son all the time, just as one would call a child. And so he built up uh, just by chanting the holy names, he was getting this very powerful uh, purification. He went on committing sinful activities, but Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur says that it was like a snake with no fangs. It was like biting, but nothing <laughs> happening. <laughs> and, then, and then finally, when he was leaving his body, he saw the Yamadutas, very fear, fearsome creatures coming to repossess not just this car, but everything else. <laughs> and he became very fearful and called out for his son. Because one, you know, he was like, oh, not, not I, and, and only one time. And saying that in a complete helplessness, it um, conflagrated. There was, a, you know, the power, the power of the holy name is undeniable. It's there throughout the Bhagavatam. And all the great teachers agree, for instance, and this goes back to Devahuti, who says, Aho bhattashwa pachato garyanya jiva gre vartate nama tubyam te pustapaste juhuvusasna arya brahmanachur nama grananti yete said how wonderful the holy name is that even if somebody just one time with the very tip of their tongue like they've been Hare Krishna and try it that person who's able to say Hare Krishna then they're known to have performed all pilgrimages they've done all sacrifices in their previous life done all the Vedic rituals uh, to come to this point of being able to say the holy name, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said they're not ordinary people who can say Hare Krishna. In fact, that person becomes um, eligible to perform Vedic sacrifices. So the holy name is all-powerful, and, and especially at a certain time when somebody says it in a certain mood, then it will have all effect, but it always has some effect. Apana samsrutin goran. It says in the Bhagavatam that there's no difference between the name and Krishna himself. And so, if you ever are in trouble, you should say, Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Instead of, whoa. 
I think I need to leave in a few minutes, but I, maybe I could share just a couple of things in relation to what you said. Two things. One is the uh, example of my dear friend, Robinath. Uh, he's a, such a fascinating character. Uh, yeah, from, from, his, from his youth, he, he, stepped, he became a leader uh, in, a, in a very weird punk rock world. But, uh, but he brought into a very Tamasic world these very like sattvic ideas of first uh, be straight edge being free from drugs and then um, vegetarianism and then ultimately Krishna Bhakti. Uh, and he just had that determination and that charisma and that, but really more than anything, the heart. You know, the heart to stand up and speak for what he thought was right, even though it was scary, even though it was dangerous, even though it was unpopular, even though he got a lot of flack for it. He gave his heart to serve people and, and ultimately to serve Krishna uh, under all different kinds of circumstances. You know, it's, it's a really unusual bhakti path, but you know, you get in a van and you drive to a city and you get on a stage and you start to glorify Krishna to a lot of people that don't want to hear it. You know, uh, even they may want to like attack you. <laughs> that, was, that was his life. Um, <laughs> and then, so he did that. He, you know, he could have used his abilities to, I mean, rock stars, what they get, you know, money and fame and sex. And then he could have used it to pursue, it was all right in front of him. He could have taken all of that. But he decided, no, you know, I want to, I want to serve. I want to do what's right. I want to do what's good. I want to serve God. So he was doing that service. Um, but of course, that's like, it, it's hard to, to be a bhakti yogi in that world. And at a certain point, uh, his path just got, you know, I don't know what the right way to phrase it, but he just, he began to drift a little bit from the association of the devotees. And so, in Hill expressed that this was the darkest time of his life. Um, where he's kind of like, um, he just wasn't so much practicing and wasn't so much associating with devotees. And, and if you look at it, like if a devotee looks back on it and he just became that same dynamic, incredible person, you know, spreading Krishna consciousness in all kind of dynamic, creative ways and the same heart and, and everything. But it's interesting because now you look back and, and um, he and I began this podcast a year and a half ago or so. Um, we kicked it off on January 1st, 2020, and uh, within the first, we, we were doing it for about a month, and we had about 900 listeners a day. And then we were together in Jaipur, and he got this text, and it was a text from Joe Rogan. It was this, basically Joe Rogan's podcast is probably the most important platform that anyone could speak on right now, in, in media. It's like... 10 million people will hear it, like that. And he got a text from Joe Rogan saying, will you please come on my show? And uh, met in that dark time of his life, when he practicing martial arts together. And he knew that this person was a yogi, and had this yogi background, and it made him special, and he wanted to invite him on the show and hear about his yoga path. So two weeks later, we were back in the States, and he, and he was on that show. Now that show, he just spoke about Bhagavad Gita. He spoke about his time in the ashram. He just spoke, you know, he just, he just shared his experience as being Prabhupada's follower and reading Bhagavad Gita and how he understood it. And the, I, as far as I can understand, for one event, for one presentation in history, that was the biggest presentation of Bhagavad Gita or Bhakti ever. 
Right? One person in one sitting reaches 10 million people. I don't know if there's any other bigger, if there has ever been on any other bigger platform than that. And Krishna gave him that. Um, and he, and then he, and just as he's dedicated himself, whether it's in a little concert here or a big thing there or whatever, he did the same thing that he always does. He put his whole heart into it. He, he represented Guru Parampara. He presented Bhagavad Gita. And the next day, our listenership went from 900 to 10,000. Yeah, every day. And, and, uh, and so now I look back at it and I say, well, that dark period that seems so dark, was Krishna not right there with him all the time? You know, was Krishna not like directing him, you know, in, in everything that he was doing? You know, was Krishna not protecting him? And, and was, was he not right there in Krishna's heart as he was going through that time in his life? It might appear that he wasn't, but now it certainly appears that he was. So yeah, just like we were discussing, well, there's so many things under the ground that we don't see. And, and perhaps what we miss, and this is one of the things that um, has really, through my daily reading of Bhagavatam, just has become at least theoretically clear to me. That one thing that I think I've never really understood enough is just how loving and merciful and kind Krishna is. And, and so when we look at the story of Ajamiya, the way that I understand that is that, that Vyasadeva wanted to highlight just how kind and merciful Krishna is. That even though he did everything that he deserved to go to hell, and the 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 um, the Yamadutas were right there, ready to drag him to hell, and they practically had the ropes around his soul, and they were pulling him out, and they were they felt entirely justified to do so, and, and they had their whole reasoning why it was justified, and out of nowhere come the servants of Lord Vishnu, um, and they're these beautiful effulgent beings, and they won't allow it to happen. And, and they're, but they're like, well, why not? It, it all adds up. He, this, he's ours now, right. <laughs> and, and you know. And they're like, no. And there's nothing that the Yamadutas could do, right? Um, to show just, you know, every time we see Lord Vishnu appear in the Bhagavatam, he's kind, he's soft, he's smiling, you know, and and, and he's um, benedicting everyone, like not not just like one person. He's when when he when he appears. Uh, when the four Kumars are cursing Jai and Vijay, he's benedicting the four Kumars. They're getting their first personal association to, to see and to smell and to experience the form of Lord Vishnu. But he's also there in his heart. He's come to protect Jai and Vijay. You know? And then even when he kills Jai and Vijay again and again and again, right? He's not only protecting Prahlad or, 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 or saving the Vedas or, or protecting the earth but he's actually benedicting those demons right, who, are, who are actually his devotees. So he always comes and he's got a beautiful smile on his face. You know, and just to see him, you know, he's not angry, he's not vengeful, he's not cruel, he's not, um, he's not like this God of, of justice in that sense, but he's the God of mercy. And so that, that, um, that pastime with the Jamil is, the way that I understand it's like, don't you get it? Don't you get just how any little thing that we do, particularly in terms of the holy name, he, he's just waiting for the excuse to come and, and benedict us and save us. Jai Guru. Jai Guru. I don't think Jai Shri ever came. Oh, okay, Jai Shri, I just wanted to thank you so much. You know, um, this whole weekend you have been running nonstop.
this is what self-service looks like. You know, when you put aside all of your own comforts, you take on all the anxiety, and you just know that I'm going to run and run and run and run and run and run to serve the devotees. And, uh, and you know, I see it. It's amazing. I, I see it as... It, when I served my guru, it was kind of like like you had no independence. You just had to completely give yourself 100%. Uh, but even then, it was like he was going to get on my case real heavy if I didn't. You know, but you're just running around and doing it out of the own you know love of your heart. And I, it, it really wasn't all me. I mean, I, I and I know that I know there there's others that I'm not seeing, but I'm seeing it in you. So I'm I'm sharing that. Yeah. I'm sure there are. And so, and I want to thank everyone, you know, everyone that helped put this event together. Thank you so much for, for your, the, the wonderful dedication to create this project, which is Ram Dass Prabhu. Thank you so much, and, and, and everybody that works here with you. Uh, this is something very special. Something very beautiful. It's not easy to create projects like this. It takes tons of work and dedication and money and effort and cooperation. You know, you have to give up your ego to work with other people to make it work. All these things are hard. So I, I really thank you all, and I also thank everybody that came. It was wonderful to see you, as I said, you know, seeing old friends, making new friends, connecting. Thank you all so much. Thank you, Vice Chancellor, so much for coming. And especially to Kaushtuba Prabhu and Raghunath Prabhu, who have dedicated every day of their life, and it's not just the morning times, they're thinking about it 24-7 and planning for it and how to how to expand the Bhagavatam everywhere. Thank you for all that you do, for walking the earth. Thank you.